afternoon and welcome to Lambda Weekly. I'm Dave Taffet here in the studio with the late Patty Fink, who screeched in just as the last uh, words of the last song we're playing. Right. I got here before that. Oh, I, long before that. Two, three <laughs> minutes at least. Long before that. Hey, I want credit. Our guest is Cheryl Drazen. She is, um, did I, I just asked you, Drazen. Correct. Like, Drazen. like Brazen. Yes. Okay. Um, and uh, she's the executive director of the Anti-Defamation League's Texoma Division. I am. I, and I got that right. You did. See see how good I'm doing? Amazing, David. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. We asked uh, Cheryl here because April 2nd? 3rd. 3rd. April 3rd. <laughs> <laughs> so not doing so good already, uh, is the March Against Hate. Right. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, the Walk Against Hate will be happening uh, at the American Airlines Center, 9 o'clock, Sunday morning, April 3rd. We walked last in 2019. In 2020, we were virtual. In 21, we were gearing and ready to go, and Delta swooped in, mm-hmm. followed by Omicron a little too quickly, and it's a family-friendly event. Kids weren't yet able to able to be vaccinated, and so we rolled till April 3rd. So folks who are registered to walk with us last October are registered to go, but we're, we're still registering community members right now um, to walk either a mile or two miles, just to say that there is no place for hate in Dallas. So we're looking forward to having all kinds of community members with us. There'll be a diversity expo. Um, on the promenade out front, um, and the walk will start at nine o'clock. We'll hear from uh, Chief Garcia um, from the poli- from the Dallas Police Department, Assistant Marshal from the Mavs, and um, we will also have Superintendent Tenahosa in one of his last public yeah. uh, uh, opportunities. Um, his, his, the DISD schools have worked with our No Place for Hate program, uh, which is anti-bias and anti-bullying. Um, we have a lot of students involved there. And so as a, a, a supporter of that program, as well as someone just committed um, in the largest employer in the city of Dallas, mm-hmm. uh, DISD, to really stand up and know that the social and emotional learning that goes into standing up to hate um, is really important. We're thrilled to have them with us. So we're against hate, I guess. Anti-hate, yes. Yeah, we're against it. Okay, I I, I had prepared a completely different interview. (laughs) Um, So so this would be along the lines of the upstanders as well. Absolutely. At the Dallas Holocaust Museum. Without a doubt. The notion of seeing something and saying something, that being a bystander to hate is really contributing (laughs) to the problem. You know, one of the quotes on your website that I just loved, it's that anti-Semitism begins with the Jews but never ends with the Jews. Talk about that a little bit because I I just love that and it applies to the LGBT community 100%. I think David applies to all communities Mm -hmm. because hate against any of us is hate against all of us. We know, I mean, we can go through liturgy, we can go through poetry, there are all kinds of beautiful ways that people have said, when I turn my head because it really isn't going to impact me, boy, I sure am shocked when later it turns out that somebody comes for me and there's nobody left to stand up. Um, I'll share a little bit of ADL history. So we were founded in 1913, and at that time uh, in the United States, if something had an ism, it was happening. Racism, sexism, anti-Semitism. And you may be familiar with the story of Leo Frank. Mm -hmm. Leo Frank was 
a Jewish man from New York who had been sent down to Atlanta to run a pencil factory. Now, we're talking 1913, a little bit before automatic deposit. And so he signed everyone's paycheck every Friday in the pencil factory. But Mary, not with the pencil, I hope. No, no, I think it was in ink. Yeah. And Mary Fagan was found dead, a young woman on the floor clutching her check with his signature on it. And the response of, of the community was she was holding his name. He must have done this. And if you know uh, KKK history, the Knights of Mary Fagan, there was in, in white supremacy, real, real culture built, built around Mary Fagan um, and the t idea of a Jew killing a white woman. Anyhow, goes through, we, we, we will skip uh, the whole trial process, but for anybody who's ever watched a murder trial, you know how long it takes for the judge to read the instructions to the jury. This jury was back very, very quickly. And they had said, even during jury selection, where you're supposed to rule out people who can't be objective, that um, this guy's Jewish. No way he could be telling the truth. Came back very, very quickly. Um, with a guilty verdict, even though the evidence didn't support that. And the mayor, uh, the governor of Georgia, did the only thing he could. He commuted the death sentence to life imprisonment and sent him as far away as he could to Marietta, which is funny if you know Atlanta geography today, that Marietta would be so far away. I lived in Marietta <laughs> for a year before I moved to Dallas back in the 70s. So so, so. so out to Marietta, to you know, as remote as you could get someone. Now... By 1915, city leaders had come together to, uh, to create a vigilante committee. Never join a committee called the Vigilante Committee. It's not right. going to bode well for you. But this was the sheriff. This was the head of the Chamber of Commerce. These were real leaders in the community so angry that the governor used political clout to commute the sentence. And they marched out to Marietta, and again, well before um, cell phones. They had a photographer with them. And if you look on the August 17, 1950 copy of the uh, Atlanta newspaper, you'll see Leo Frank being lynched with the words, they shouted, kill the Jew, mm. kill the Jew, kill the Jew. Wow. And so that, that episode was happening in American history. At the same time, three attorneys in Chicago one being Sigmund Livingston, who was, was the first founder of ADL, said, hey, we've got a problem, and we need to come up with a mission. And that mission's been the same now for 109 years, to stop the defamation of the Jewish people and to secure justice and fair treatment for all. So taking me back to your first statement, Dave, about that, anti-Semitism starts with the Jews, but it doesn't end with them. We have always recognized mm -hmm. that anti-Semitism may be the original form of anti-bias, but it sure isn't the only one. Sure. Um, at Dallas Voice, every time, every single time, we post a story about uh, something trans, and that's what was going on in the legislature this session. That's, that's the buzzword and, the, uh, that, and what is propelling Abbott in his um, re-election bid, because it energizes the base. So it's anti-trans this, anti-trans that. Every time we get comments from three different people uh, about, you know, why do we care about them? Let them take care of themselves. Who cares? Uh, stop with all the trans stuff. I thought this was a gay newspaper. Why isn't it? You know, why are you... Same thing. Next session, we know what some of the bills are that they want to... Uh, Introduce. They want to introduce anti-same-sex uh, marriage laws. They want to limit uh, liability if a public official doesn't want to serve a gay person. If uh, you don't want to 
provide medical care to somebody who's gay. They're trying, they've tried that successfully with trans people in several states. Uh, they want to push that here. But they want to expand it to anti-gay. Anti-gay begin, or anti-trans begins with the trans, but uh, ends with all the rest of us. I mean, th right. that statement is universal. Sure. Right. You're seeing it, I would say, analogous in the CRT movement, where people are saying that, hey, it's not my history, necessarily, they're talking about pulling out. Um, I'll tell you, I've, uh, I, I've had some challenging conversations in the Jewish community, mm -hmm. saying that if you, if you think that you can take <clears throat> slavery out of education because it makes people uncomfortable, Holocaust makes people really mm -hmm. uncomfortable. And what would you say if we, if we quit talk, talking about that, if we took that out of schoolrooms? We, we have a law in Texas requiring that you spend International Holocaust Remembrance Week acknowledging um, the Holocaust. And so I think we're going to find... be real easy to change that law. Very easy to change that law. Very, very easy to change it. Mm -hmm. And we saw this, this, the sort of flip side of that in Southlake where they were saying, well, you, have to, you, have to do, you have to teach both sides of the Holocaust. Right, that there could be an alternative view to the Holocaust. And like maybe it was a good thing. Right, and the alternative view to the Holocaust is Holocaust denial, which is anti-Semitism. Like mm -hmm. There is no question mm -hmm. to that. And, and look, I understand, um, and I spent time in South Lake, and I spent time with the superintendent and with the administrator who, who made that remark. I understand where they were coming <coughs> from. The law as written is confusing. It is very, very confusing what topics may or may not be challenging um, for people, but for sure, it is not going to give us a well-educated, empathetic, understanding group of human beings if they, they don't get to learn history until they leave the school system. Mm -hmm. You know what's striking to me about all of that is that they're the, the, one of the ideas behind this enormous, one, misinterpretation of what, quote, CRT is... Um, and that it's not actually taught in any schools critical in the country. Critical race theory for anybody. Yes, yeah. it's critical race theory. It's not taught in elementary schools or junior highs or high schools in the country. It's taught in law school, and not all law schools. It's you know, it's it's a theory out there, but they're they're basing it on this idea that white kids are going to feel bad about themselves if they hear about slavery, or that anything any sort of ism around race still exists today they're going to feel they're going to feel uncomfortable and such and I, I just have to ask the question what about the black kids in the class I, I holy crap I think, it's, I think it's an excellent question and I think if a child is old enough to experience racism a child should be old enough to learn about it sure I mean for sure and and look the the term in, in the current uh, legislation was divisive topics, uh, divisive subjects. To not be able to teach people the skills to discuss challenging things, I mean, that's going to be crippling to it will society. Be crippling. To, mm -hmm. not, to not be able to have a conversation about why some of us view things differently, where, where, where those approaches come from, where those theories come from. On Saturday Night Live, they had the best explanation of the Don't Say Gay law, where, um, uh, what's her name? Kate McKinnon. Kate McKinnon was, uh, said, yeah, we can have a discussion in class, and um, 
one child can say, yes, I'm going home to my mother and my father, and my other, uh, the other child in the class can go home and say, uh, I'm going home to the two men who bought me at birth. <laughs> but it comes down to that level. It's that stupid. Right. Uh, making it, making anybody think that if kids bring up something, you can't discuss it in class. Absolutely. Or the notion that words don't matter. I mean, I realize our listeners can't see us, but um, none of us are school children having Mm -hmm. this conversation right now. And we were probably all raised in a generation that said sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Mm -hmm. It's a lie. It's a total lie. Mm -hmm. Because the words we use, how we label people, matter dramatically. And for sure, how leaders label people. Well, it's almost as if they want they want a whole generation and generations thereafter to be coddled in in a really cruel kind of way. It's like don't say gay, don't say black, um, don't read black, don't read gay, you know, don't don't anything. Let's protect our children's precious little ears and brains and feelings from experiencing a world outside themselves. And what the lived experiences of others really are. And I mean, like, I work in health IT, and if, if a person can't have um, the ability to look objectively at facts and speak those, speak their mind when they think something's wrong, I'm going to build a product that's not going to have a market or, some, or not, not work for the user. I mean, these are, these are basic skills to be able to say, I disagree with you. I think that's a bad idea. I think that's a good idea. I, you know, whatever it might be. And that's where we learn those things are on the playgrounds. And, you know, it's like, I don't have to hurt you to, to disagree with you, but I can say my disagreement and I know how to come back at that, you know, to be persuasive about my side or my view or my opinion. It, it seems so stupid. It seems counterproductive for sure to not be building those skills so that we can have, um, there, there are divisive topics. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we polarize them by taking them off the table rather than <clears throat> demonstrating how to, have, how, to, how to work through conflict or acknowledge it. Or try to find even one area in a divisive topic where you can agree. Absolutely. That's, that's crazy. Going back to just what goes on in a classroom, if a kid is saying something, chances are they heard it at home. What better place to teach a kid, you know, rather than, oh, I'm going to hurt that poor little white child's little, his little feelings, to say, this is what happened in the past. No, we don't do that and we don't act that way now. And discuss it. I mean, I, all you have to do is really look at the way Germany handled their uh, how they emerged from the the horrors that many Germans today um, know their family members committed mm-hmm. and their ancestors. Um, they, they don't. They don't. For one, they don't put up statues of, of Hitler. I mean, like we've been talking about these Confederate statues and and all of that. They they don't do that, but they I th- 
the Germans that I know and, and have interacted with in the past uh, all, to a person, talk about that experience of facing it head on and talking about it and going to places and seeing the the venues of horror um, and and having that be very real for them. Although I'll and, tell you what, the first time I was in Germany in the mid-70s, um, I went to Dachau, which I recommend for anybody to go do when they're in Germany, but do it on your last day there because it's that horrifying. Um, people who I was asking directions to get there because it's kind of on the outskirts. Um, Munich is kind of laid out the way Dallas is with an LBJ around it and Dachau is right outside LBJ, basically. Um, you can get there on public transportation, but nobody then wanted to talk about how you got there and they kind of begrudgingly gave me directions uh, because it was like, that's not who we are now, which is good. But you don't forget. You do have to teach it. We need to take a break as long as we're talking about such happy topics. Our guest is Cheryl Drazen. She's the executive director of the Texoma branch of the Anti-Defamation League. Next week is the Walk Against Hate. It's going to be at... American Airlines Center. American Airlines Center, 9 a.m. on April 3rd. 9 a.m. means that we can get there. I can anyway. I'm, I live right near there. so. <laughs> and you can get there on public transportation. I can get There's there. There's a big stop right there at American Airlines And then I'll run up here right after it's over. Um, this is Lambda Weekly on 89.3 KNON-FM. I'm Dave Taffet here in the studio with the late Patty Fink. I almost said with Leron Landis, but you wouldn't be Leron. No, I'm not Leron. Okay. Leron's off today. Uh, and uh, Cheryl Trazen's our guest. More with Cheryl right after this. Hi, this is Candy Markham, and I listen to Lambda Weekly on 89.3 KNON-FM. Listen. And I'm Dave Taffet here with uh, the late Patty Fink, and our guest is Cheryl Drazen. She's the executive director of the Texoma branch of the Anti-Defamation League. The whole country is covered by different branches of the league, right? Correct. We have 25 offices around the country. Um, one of the things that you can do is report a hate crime through your website. Absolutely. Do a lot of people report that way so that they can report it anonymously? Well, it is not completely anonymously because we do come back and verify, verify information, but we do receive, I mean, our numbers, and particularly in anti-Semitic uh, hate incidents, which is where the nation relies on our data for that, um, we are seeing a tremendous uptick. And while people say, oh, that's awful and it's terrible, and it is, um, I often I also see a, a silver lining to it because I think people are reporting more often. I'm not really convinced that there's so many more incidents, um, but that people are more likely to say something. Um, as, particularly in, in our region, which is North Texas and Oklahoma, we have for a very long time kind of followed what my grandmother would have called good manners. And it was a joke. I'm sure they didn't mean it. I don't have to say something. And I'm really seeing that, that switch. I'm seeing people say, hey, it was my boss. It was really uncomfortable. I wasn't going to say something in the moment. Um, I'm seeing people get flyered. Um, 
didn't break a window, didn't didn't harm their property. But hey, I just want you no, to it did know. something like, um, oh, this was mid '80s. <coughs> I was working for a company, and when I said I was going to take off for Rosh Hashanah, uh, it was like, oh, you Jews get so many holidays. You know, it was that kind of comment. Sure. And since then, I've always taken off both the first and the second day. I grew up reform where we mostly celebrate the first day. But you're going to make a comment like that to me. I'm taking off both days. Um, I am big on revenge. And my revenge was, I don't know if you remember, we used to have a program, the Christmas Mitzvah program. And so for several years, and that was one of them, that was one of the years that I was volunteering during Christmas, and I was volunteering in the emergency room at Parkland. <laughs> God, was that horrible. On Christmas Day especially, uh, I remember one guy, uh, I, I was doing triage basically, so I asked, um, what are you here for? And he said, I got a hole. And I said, oh, what kind of hole? Well, a bullet went through me. Wow. Oh, wow. So I <laughs> ran, and, I, I mean, they reacted, uh, and professionals took over. But um, they kind of ate their livers at my office when I was telling some of my experiences of how I spent Christmas and compared to everybody else. Um, so, yes, those kind of it, – it's not a hate crime thing, but it is hate. It's a, it's a hate incident, and and hate is kind of analogous in some ways, maybe to like domestic abuse. It's a crime of escalation. Mm-hmm. It starts, and we, we we kind of pocket them in three areas: we harassment, vandalism, and assault. And for years and years and years, harassment has been the big category, big winner. And for sure, once the world, once the internet um, became the most unsupervised playground out there. The ability for people to spew hate on that has been very easy. And candidly, uh, with the pandemic and so many programs and workspaces becoming virtual, um, the technology pieces there, we were having conversations, funerals, religious programs, Zoom bombed left and right until people learned the, the appropriate and, and proper protocols and security measures for setting those up to be safe and secure spaces just like you would um, a building mm-hmm. or a meeting place, then then acts of vandalism. And that can be spray painting something in a cemetery where no one is technically harmed to breaking in. To my synagogue where our sign was stolen. Absolutely. Or painting a swastika on the top of mm-hmm. a downtown parking lot um, a little more than a year ago that was large enough for an airplane mm-hmm. to be able to see. It was, a, it was a work of art. It took hours for that to be to be created again. Um, to, to assault, to what happened in Colleyville in January. And, and the, the scariest part, again, to me, isn't so much the rising numbers, although... Um, in in twenty nineteen in twenty twenty, we saw a hundred and twenty seven percent increase in anti Semitic incidents in North Texas and Oklahoma. Wow! The twenty one numbers will be out later this month, and I am confident that it will be just as big a jump. Um, but is the move we saw in North Texas more acts of vandalism than we did of harassment? That's mm-hmm. moving in the wrong direction. That's not the way. Right. It's not the trend you want to see. Hmm. Um, one of the things I noticed was uh, you're tracking anti-Muslim uh, hate as well. Absolutely. 
I mean, good, good example of might start with the Jews, but never ends with the Jews. Absolutely. And again, it is because of our, our commitment to the fact that hate against any of us is, is hate against all of us. Now, I'm not going to pretend that ADL is going to be the greatest voice for the Muslim community, and we will offer some work with a Muslim community partner when we get a call in the same way that we would um, with the LGBT community when we get a call in and, and send them to a place where we know they may get better or more immediate support than mm-hmm. they can from us. And, and the only reason I bring that one up is that you would expect if you're somebody who isn't against hate, you would expect a group like the Anti-Defamation League to act like, oh, well, hate against us is worse. Hate is hate. Hate is hate. Hate is hate. And the trend line, I mean, looking hate against the AAPI community, which is something that had not been experienced in tremendous numbers since internment camps. I mean, really, Uh there had been years in this country um, Mm -hmm. where the AAPI community did not feel like they were targeted um, by hate. But with the pandemic, it's it's shot through the roof. And they actually had to form organizations. They didn't have an ADL. They didn't have a Lambda necessarily Mm -hmm. really set up and prepared. In fact, ADL helped them to create the actual database system that you would they would use. So, that, I mean, they were literally keeping things on post-it notes. You know, people would call in and they'd take the information, didn't have a way to centralize it, calculate it, trend spot, heat map, mm-hmm. those kinds of pieces which are necessary mm-hmm. in today's tracking. Which brings us to hate during the, the coronavirus pandemic. Yes. Why would a public health problem, a public health crisis, why would that turn into an opportunity for people to hate? Million dollar question. But like with any other time, when people are scared, the pandemic has been scary for so many people, um, for our health, for our jobs, for our families, the economy, all the parts. Um, people want to point a finger. You want to blame, blame somebody. Someone. That's where we get haters going to hate. You know, that, that's what they do. But then the hate was turned against the people who were working to create vaccines, distribute vaccines, come up with pills that will, if not cure, but make coronavirus less severe. What's that kind of hate about? I, I, I don't get it. Well, hate's not logical. So if we're going to go down a logical road, we're never going to we're never going to get anywhere. Um, I mean, the very same way. And again, anti-Semitism is the hate that I know best. The anti-Semitic tropes, they come back in all kinds of ways, but they're, it's all the same story. I mean, whether it is, you know, taking um, the blood of Christian Jews, taking the blood of Christian children. For something we we know that that's blatantly untrue it is but it comes back in all sorts of stories i mean as we approach passover in a few weeks i can promise you there will be you know some blood libel stories out there um because they're all they're you all mean matzah there. is not made with blood that's not the recipe they're using these days huh huh it sounds yeah. so delicious can you imagine <laughs> matzah by the way is flour and water period and it tastes like flour and water. Period. <laughs> Period. 
Exactly. <laughs> what I never understood is when the Jews were escaping from Egypt, how they had time. They didn't have time to bake the bread, but they had enough time to cut it into squares and put it into Manischewitz boxes. <laughs> Supply chain. Supply chain, I guess. I guess. <laughs> Great comeback. He's been asking this question for years. Well, I have. It's never been answered for me. Um, I get when people are scared, they want to blame. Um, China is where the virus started, we're assuming. I mean, that's the first cases that we found. Right. How does beating up a little old lady on a street corner here in Dallas or on the subway in New York or because New York's seen a huge up, uptick in those kind of violent crimes. How does that help their side? Again. I, I'm tr- look, looking, I know looking, I'm trying looking, to get looking, you to explain hate. Right, look, looking for a logic, looking for a logical answer, and in many ways, hate is about power, about wanting to assume that you have some control over something. And I think the the virus was so frightening to all of us, so unknown. We were so unprepared for what to do, for how it was going to interrupt our lives. I, I don't know about you all, but you know, I was sent home to practice work from home for a day and it's been two years still practicing um you know you're getting good at it though baby absolutely (laughs) really hone those skills um but but the uncertainty and 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 the trying to find control the 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 financial impact to asian american businesses locally um as well as nationally has been absolutely tremendous i mean even even being able to People maybe not your example, Dave, of someone beating someone up, which of course is very, very direct. But people even avoiding merchants or mm. or, or other or other pieces there. Um, you know, restaurant associations saying what a dip they were seeing, even once people were able to to to, to Uber Eats or whatever. wasn't wasn't because restaurants were closed because people weren't choosing to support them. It's really. Um, um I, I think essential in this this idea of of hate that some people need to blame others, and there have always been scapegoats. There are a lot of people out there who who don't look objectively at facts and situations, or who I think um, need to blame someone else so they don't have to look for any. It's an easy out. It's an easy way of dealing with things is just to blame whoever's handy. And I think a lot of times people get blamed for things that, if you really think it through, it's not even connection-wise a logical flow um, to blame people outright for things. It's really, um, um, and yet so common. Absolutely. I mean, even when you look at, at the federal level, COVID relief packages, I mean, we had an increase in funding for hate crimes which was completely necessary about how to get that information into communities in in their own languages, in places where they're unlikely to call the FBI and mention, hey, 
experienced a hate crime? How do we put it in community centers? How do we get the information out? And it'll be fascinating to see mm -hmm. if that uptake in, in funding has been helpful. But I mean, didn't get as much coverage as the PPP and other pieces, mm -hmm. but was a tremendous, tremendous part of the package. It's important to know figures. And after Colleyville, so our synagogue has police protection now, uh, thanks to the city. Uh, thank you, Eric. But um, what does knowing those numbers do? How do we use those numbers to, to try to prevent hate? We, look, there are, it makes for more educated guesses about where we're seeing things. It allows, with the beauty of technology today, for us to have information share and information spread. Um, the big, and I was, I was in Colleyville that afternoon, and a tremendous concern was, was this a Lone Ranger type of mm -hmm. attack, or were we, was this going to be happening all around the Metroplex? And being able to have that kind of, of information shared. Look, uh, Special Agent in Charge, uh, Matt DeSarna, I was at the press conference when he was asked the question, is there a threat to the Jewish community? And, and the transcript reads badly when he says, no, there's not a threat to the Jewish community. What he meant, I really think, after 11 exhausting hours was we're not expecting other congregations to be attacked tomorrow. Um, what the clarifying statements later that the FBI released after their initial investigation, and they continue, I mean, as they're working the case to say, is this was an anti-Semitic hate crime, and this was an act of terror committed against the Jewish community. It was not a pizza parlor. It was not a movie theater. It was not a shopping mall. And taking people hostage in any of those places is horrible. It would be horrible, sure. Absolutely horrible. But doing it in a synagogue on a Saturday morning during Sabbath worship is an anti-Semitic hate crime. There, there is no question I mean, it was planned that, that he was going to yeah. go to the synagogue on Saturday morning when it would be expected people would be there. Right. It would be like going to, you know, First Baptist Church downtown at 1030 on Sunday morning. Right. You're going to find a whole bunch of people congregated. Right. 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 Um, does having police at each of the synagogues in the city send a good or bad message? I think it sends a necessary message. I think it sends a message that when somebody drives up, this may not be such a great idea. Got to get through something. Mm -hmm. um, and I think on the flip side, I do find particularly coming out of COVID as more and more congregations are meeting in person and not just virtually, that it's bringing people back to communal life, which is important. I mean, it's important, I think, for all of us psychologically mm -hmm. to re-engage whatever communities that we're a part of, face-to-face. -face. I mean, this multidimensional piece is, is important psychologically. I mean, it's given peace of mind to members of our congregation when they see the police car, because uh, parks on one side, and then every once in a while uh, patrols around the building. Right. Um, and, and we can see from the windows the police car patrolling. It's like, huh, good. <laughs> And you can just see a little sigh going through the congregation right. when the police car drives by. So for that, giving peace of mind, it's important, I think. Sure. Um, it's just reassuring. We need to take a break. Um, before we do, April 3rd, 9 a.m., American Airlines Center is the Walk Against Hate. 
Um, you can register online where? Walkagainsthate.org backslash Dallas. Uh, and or just put all the a combination of those words into Google, it'll come up. Right uh, where should people park? People should park. There will, if they're not going to take Dart down, which is super easy, literally it lets you off right there. There will be free parking in the Mavs garage. It'll be uh, marked very, very well. And that parking will close at 845. Walk begins at 9. So you need to be there 830-ish in order 830 -ish, to... 830-ish, 8 o'clock if you want to start enjoying some of the entertainment <coughs> at the plaza. I don't know that I can enjoy entertainment at 8 in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> Well, how are you? We may all talk. Let's take our break. Yeah, uh, you're listening to Lambda Weekly on 89.3 KNON FM. I'm Dave Taffet here in the studio with the late Patty Fink, and our guest is Cheryl Drazen from uh, the Anti Defamation League. We'll be back with more right after this. And welcome back to Lambda <laughs> Weekly. We were just talking during the break. I forgot that was just one short one. Um, uh, we were talking about going next week to the walk, and I was going to say, I'll go. I might not walk, too much of a schlep. <laughs> I have the excuse I have to go do my show. It's so that, it's that, be a busy that day. Gary Larson cartoon years ago with the 100 meter mosey, you know. Because <laughs> I was asking during the break, are we going to stand or are we going to walk? Where are we going to walk? We're going to walk around uptown. So there'll be a mile route and a two mile route. But if you don't want to walk, um, you are welcome to stay at the Diversity Expo, where there are going to be 10 groups. Let's see if I can name all of them. I'm not sure. Um, Human Rights Campaign, Le Women Voters, Buddy Up Tennis, Paul Quinn College, Latino Voter Empowerment Coalition, Jewish Family Services, Camp Quest, Thanksgiving Foundation, Unforgotten Butterflies, ADL will have a booth. I may be I may be one short, but there will be activities going on on the plaza. There'll be uh, all kinds of entertainment. But but if you don't want to walk, we hope you will take a step in the right direction to fight hate some other way. Mm -hmm. Cool, cool. And that, what, that would be the hundred meter mingle. It could be. You know that that would be really that awesome. Sounds more like what I'll be doing. As long as it's not <laughs> the hater hurdle, we're good. Um. <laughs> One of the groups that's sponsoring this is not the Arboretum, is it? No. <laughs> so yesterday... Nice segue. Thank you. Uh, yesterday, there was a demonstration at the Arboretum. Lambda Legal has filed one lawsuit against them for a trans person who was fired. Uh, basically, basically, what started the incident, uh, and we talked about this on last week's show, uh, was that that uh, employee wanted to put uh, pronouns on... Uh, her name tag and um, that wasn't allowed but Bible quotes are yep and the email signature and the email signature email signature also uh, can't have and other pronouns. activities there was more than simply the pen so it was interesting there were about 40 people there uh, demonstrating the Arboretum put out signs by the curb telling people that they were welcome to demonstrate there. Well, thank you very much for giving me the right to stand on city property. Um, the most interesting thing that I uh, found was that employees of the Arboretum came out, or while people were walking to their car, they walked over to them to thank the demonstrators for being there. That's employees of the place. That's, That's not awesome. a good sign. Uh, I, we, I, I think it's awesome because they... We have we have a cause that is 
that that reaches them very personally. And mm-hmm. I think that's a, a that's a that's a good thing that we're together. Right, and I think that demonstrates what we talked about: upstander behavior, which is mm-hmm. an acknowledgement that they're not turning an eye, recognizing even if you are part of the problem, you can still say something mm-hmm. about it. Robert Emery, who's been on our show uh, a couple of times, uh, he's going to the uh, Arboretum's Gala, and he wants them somehow to know that there are gay people there supporting the Arboretum. I said, <laughs> Robert, maybe some of us can give you lessons in being a little bit more flamboyant. <laughs> uh, I think they'll know. I, I, I think they'll know, too. <laughs> I, I think they'll figure it out that there are gay people there. Um, Demonstrating is one way. Yours is a preemptive walk against hate. It's not in reaction to an incident. A demonstration is in reaction to an incident. Right. With demands for uh, the Arboretum to come out with uh, some announcement of what they are actually doing. The other thing that I thought was interesting, um, Adam Basildua, who's District 5 City Councilman. Seven. Seven City Councilman. Um, doesn't cover that area, but butts up right next to it. Uh, he was there, and he said an investigation by the City Equity and Inclusion Committee has already started. Excellent. Excellent. Um, and the, the, the Arboretum itself is in District 9, which is Paula Blackman's r- Right. District. And she was not there, but she did make a statement about it. Mm-hmm. Um, Is that a good way to alleviate some hate or to a good reaction to hate, do you think? Um, because, yeah, because the incident itself began with an instance of hate. Well, I, I think it falls into the category of see something, say something, and it's not a one-size-fits-all kind of recipe. Um, we were talking earlier about uh, in South Lake Carroll when, I mean, that story became a national news story in about half an hour. I mean, mm-hmm. we, it was it was a week after it had happened, but once it hit NBC, it was it was everywhere. Um, and so, does that get resolution faster than knocking on the superintendent's door with a with a letter? Most likely, most likely, you, you get a, a faster response. So, does a demonstration do more? Do letters to the editor? Do private? meetings between people of influence and people with influence matter. I think all of them do. I just I think it always depends on the stakeholders and the situation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's been true in almost every community. In the in the LGBTQ community we often um, and it's been sort of cyclical over generations where uh, people go, no, the thing we must do is have action now and results now we have to be in their face we have to be downtown we have to be screaming we have to be like disrupt disrupt and then the other people now we have to talk behind the scenes we have to work with our allies we have to you know have those who have influence over those who have influence to speak to others and and get some consensus and get some allies on the inside and 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 it's this this push pull push pull and we're like no it has to be all of it right it has to be everything no one's right or wrong by choosing one or the other. They're just different ways of approaching the problem. But 
I mean, the same thing happened in Ukraine. They're doing negotiations. They're trying to have some discussion. But there's people on the ground. But there's hand-to-hand <laughs> hand combat happening, too. And, yeah. and you couldn't... I'm not a military expert, but I don't think you could stop where we are today. You couldn't stop the hand-to-hand combat to have another conversation mm-hmm. um, with, with what's going on. That doesn't mean those conversations or um, appearing in front of very... what. Uh, he was in front of the Knesset today. He was in Congress mm-hmm. last week. I mean, the, those are important conversations to be had as well. Somebody should have told him, you put on a tie when you're speaking in front of Congress. I'm not the <laughs> only one who thought this must be the first person in history addressing Congress in a T-shirt. I never noticed until people were complaining about what he wore. And I'm like, you know what? I think he was perfect. <laughs> Actually, I do, too. Um, yeah, I mean, he's become an international hero. Yes. Um, what can the ADL do to help Ukraine? And, I mean, you're an organization that's mostly compiled and negotiated, and you're on the talking peaceful side of things. We are on the talking peaceful side of things, but we also recognize again that multifaceted approach is needed. So while we may do really well in the diplomacy section, um, we also have a lot of interested stakeholders. And so we are pushing those who can offer financial support to do that because Mm -hmm. there are communities that are tremendously in need right now um, and if you go to our website we'll direct you to organizations that we believe um, are doing a, a, a good job and a fair and equitable job and are there on the ground doing that doing the work, work right now not right. not somebody who's planning on going over and right taking a mission or a trip no people who are actually providing basic relief to, mm-hmm. to, to individuals yeah. um, we are also again I mean this is part of of why coalition work is so incredibly important. And we are explaining to a lot of partners who may not normally, um, not that not that the world is not watching what's going on in Ukraine, but why some of these pieces matter so dramatically, how analogous to other points in history th- this is. And again, that, that combination of kind of un- unusual suspects. I mean, we do all kinds of civil rights work. We also train a lot of law enforcement on on hate crimes and extremism. Mm -hmm. You don't often sit at the intersection of civil rights work and law enforcement. That's not always an an easy combination to navigate, but it sure, in Colleyville, was pretty important that we had a tremendous relationship with law enforcement and were absolutely intertwined in the the Jewish and civil rights community on how Mm -hmm. to get resources. It's interesting seeing how the police react to the LGBT community lately. Um, We had, for years, we've had a good relationship with the Oak Lawn police squads. And if we'd held a demonstration downtown, they'd look at us like we were Martians. Yesterday at the Arboretum, the police who were there they, they just thought our demonstration was delightful. That's one term I ever It was colorful. From our- <laughs> it was colorful. It was polite. It was... Uh, sassy. It, yes. It was sassy. It, it was all those things. So it's interesting how being at the intersection, uh, 
things change. And they have changed over the years for the LGBT community. Um, one of the odd things, we're coming uh, close to the end of the show, but uh, one of the things that I thought was interesting, the ADL uh, filed a, an amicus brief in the Obergefell decision. Yes. That was on your website. Um, how long has the ADL worked with the LGBT community? Forever. I mean, while you know the world celebrated that marriage equality seemed to happen overnight, we were a part of the decades and decades and decades that went into that that legal battle mm -hmm. um, to make it seem like it happened overnight. Um, but always, we have been been connected to the LGBTQ community, mm -hmm. and that's been one of the things we've we've been educating our community on for for many many years. Um, are these uh, are kind of the basic elements of what a hate crime is and why it's so important because one of the things that we've been had been pushing were uh, laws that addressed hate crimes in a in a way that was um, um, included us and and benefited those who had suffered hate crimes I mean ADL drafted the model hate crime language so when in it that 46 states now in the District of Columbia have, and I'll tell you, in the states where it can't pass, it's because ADL pulls out of a coalition when it has non-inclusive language, and that if it won't include the LGBT community, it won't. Now, they're, they're laws that need a lot of help. Texas law needs a lot yes. of help, but when it was written, it was... It was an early... It was, it was an early-ish version in in that piece. It doesn't mean, like I said, there's a lot of work, but... There was in no Georgia, ill intent. No, I hope not. Well, there was uh, some, <laughs> but uh, there was some compromise in order to get a group of Republican voters or Republican legislators to come on board with it. Right, but in Georgia, most recently, where uh, the state passed a hate crimes law, it, it candidly almost fell, fell apart at the last minute because of a desire to keep the LGBT community out of the language. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that's it's very important for our, our community to understand um, that a hate crime, regardless of what kind of hate or flavor of hate um, or targeted group, there is a targeted group and it's, it is considered domestic terrorism. Yes. Uh, that a lot of people really don't register that that's what it is. But it is intended to terrorize an entire group of people, yes. whether it's a black person or a brown person or a Jewish person or a queer person. It's all intended to terrorize everyone in that group because it could have been anybody because the only reason they were attacked was because they're in that group. Absolutely. And so that double victim status of not just the individual who mm -hmm. is being harmed, but the entire community they represent is why the hate crimes laws have, why they're A, so hard to prove, and B, carry a higher, a higher penalty is because they're extra bad. Yes, and one of the things I love about these hate crime laws that are that have been in place in the last, I would say, 10, 15 years, maybe not earlier, is that a lot of them come with um, additional resources for communities that may not have investigative resources. Um, and I know the federal hate crimes legislation also brings with it federal resources when a, when a community doesn't have those resources. Right maybe to investigate fully or to bring that prosecution to fruition Absolutely. fully. Um, and I think that's really important, too, because we have to get to the bottom of it. Absolutely. Yep. 
Um, you know, the thing about hate crimes, when I was on the board of, um, I, I always call it LGRL, uh, which is the old name, Texas, Equality Texas, um, what we were fighting for was trying to get legislators to understand that the hate crime may be directed at one person, but the target is the entire community. Uh, when Rabbi Charlie was taken hostage over in Colleyville, he was obviously the target and the person who was going to be who could have been hurt and thank thank god it was him because he handled it so well um that was the intended direct target but the real target was the entire jewish community absolutely it's dropping it's dropping a pebble pebble and those ripples and how far they go out and on some of these it's an ocean it is absolutely an ocean of, mm. of the impact. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, just in the last minute, Walk Against Hate, April 3rd. Look for more details in Dallas Voice. Park in, parking will be marked, but it'll be in one of those like Lexus lots, which you can right. park in even if you don't drive a Lexus. Correct. Um, I never understood. And you don't need a Lexus to drive Dart. You Dart can, stops right in front of the building. And then free parking. Is it paid parking? Free parking. Free parking, okay. Um, register on the website, which is? Walkagainsthate.org backslash Dallas. Are there other cities that are doing it at the same time? Not this year. Um, other, we normally do do it all together, but when we pushed forward, um, we are on our own this April, so we're excited. Ah, and the money goes to money I raised? Hate. Fight hate in Dallas. So that's going to be law enforcement training. It is going to be education programs. It is going to be community resources. And Cheryl, I want to thank you so much for being here today. We are out of time. Uh, Please do come back. Yeah. Thank you. And we'll be able to report next week, yes. or not next week, the week after, how the march actually went. <laughs>